getting ready for church. It was the, the first Sunday of the month, which was a special Sunday in the life of that particular congregation. And the father, while driving down the road, looked in his rearview mirror at his daughter and asked her, Sweetheart, do you know what Sunday this is for our church? And the little girl thought for a moment and then said, Well, Daddy, it's Community Sunday. And he knew, and you know, she meant Communion Sunday. But you know what? The little girl had it about right, didn't she? It is Community Sunday. The first Sunday of each month, we gather around the table of the bread and the cup. This is the fourth Sunday in our sermon on the stewardship, living gratefully, giving generously. And today is also World Communion Sunday. Christians around the world are around the table sharing the bread and the cup together today. Whether the church shares in Holy Communion once a quarter, once a month, once a week, we're all today gathering around that table. Now the passage of Scripture that has been read is often characterized either as a rich and serious call to Christianity or a dangerous call to a life of socialism or communism. However, what we're witnessing here today is not a church state. It's not a philosophy of politics we're talking about here. We're witnessing a small community of early Christians who were clearly focused on sharing their goods to alleviate the needs of those impoverished in their community. Actually, the way this community of early Christians are living is their embrace of the Torah, those first five books of the Old Testament. See, these are Judeo-Christians. And Deuteronomy, part of the Torah, says, when God blesses you in your land, there will be no needy person among you. Deuteronomy chapter 15 has everything to do with sharing possessions. Through the power and grace of the resurrected Lord, this small Christian community that we're talking about today is making certain there's no needy person among them and that they are enjoying the blessing of great grace and great power promised by God to those who live this way. So we have to ask, right? What does this passage have to do with us today? And I think it's found in verse 34. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great power and great grace. They experienced this, and because of this, there was not a needy person among them. For as many owned lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds to the church to be used for that. This is what I know. When the family of Christ gathers together, generosity can erupt. No matter where, no matter how small or large a congregation, no matter if it's a denomination or if it's an independent church, when Christians gather together in worship and ministry, generosity can be there. It can erupt. Generous living defined and shaped the lives of these early Christians. And when we are at our best, it defines who we are today too. This passage teaches us that the use of financial resources is fundamentally a spiritual issue. A spiritual life anchored in God is intimately tied to generous living. To be a Christian is to be part of a generous family. And this is so because our leader, Jesus Christ, lived with an extravagant generosity. It was generosity to find his life, his death, and his resurrection. And because the early church lived in, in this great grace and great power, 
in the resurrected Lord and the generosity of his life, they were compelled by the Spirit of God to share their resources to meet the needs of those in that community. These early Christians shared because they wanted to share. They discovered that common ownership actually helped them achieve their goals of their community. And their goal was to share their possessions so that there was no poverty. And I believe because of the prevenient grace of God. That's the grace of God that is in the world before we even know it is grace. I believe because of the prevenient grace of God, we can catch a glimpse of sharing in our world today. If we look closely, we can see unique ways of our world sharing. We have in our society now zip cars, right? Zip cars available for us to drive by the hour, by the day, gas, insurance included. Uber and Lyft, providing an alternative to taxis. Couch surfing, anybody? Couch surfing, uh, couches around the world, staying as a guest in someone's home. Bike share, we've seen them around Durham, haven't we? Bike share, thousands of bicycles at our fingertips. Share desk, that offers rental of short-term, affordable, flexible office space. And to be sure, this kind of sharing, we have to ask, is it practical? Is it efficient? Well, it seemed to be for, for Neil Gorenflow. He's a 50-year-old man in Silicon Valley. He's the co-founder of Shareable, an award-winning news action connection hub for sharing transformation. Neil had an epiphany in 2004 that inspired him to leave the corporate world to help people share through the internet startups, through publishing, grassroots organizing, and a circle of friends committed to the common good. And according to, to Fast Company magazine, a typical day for, uh, for Grandflow involves dropping his son off to, with uh, Jake to, um, to a nanny that he shares with other people. Then he drops off, he's dropping off at the coffee shop. He logs on to a peer-to-peer -peer banking site called Lending Club, which allows him to make small loans to people in need. Then he takes a train to San Francisco where he hops into a Prius reserved just for a couple of hours from City Share, Car City Share. Garen Flo then drives to Berkeley for a tour of a co-housing community, which is designed to provide an old-fashioned sense of community. He ends up at a shared office space from which he works once a week. Just like the early Christians, Garen Flo shares because he wants to share. It helps him achieve his goals. As I've said, sharing helped the early Christians to achieve their goal of alleviating poverty, and particularly the poverty of widows and orphans in that area. The goal was to build up their small community through worshiping God and sharing with others. And this is true for us today, isn't it? How many times do we talk about uh, Aldersgate as a sharing community, as a community of Christians, a church family? Since I've been your pastor, I've heard many of you speak about Aldersgate saying, this is my church family. And I've heard some of you say, I don't know what I would do without my Aldersgate family. And family members, by the way, resemble one another in some way, don't they? I know, I have people tell me, Brian, you look like your father. Others will say, Brian, you look like your mother. I don't know. But we look like somebody, right? When I was a chaplain at Duke Hospital, there were times when I dealt with crises and death too much for any one day. And I'd find myself in need of renewal. And searching for places of renewal in life, I would go to the fifth floor. 
Anybody know what the fifth floor is at Duke? Babies. Newborns. Beautiful life. And while looking at the babies, there would be family members there pointing to theirs and smiling and celebrating. And it was common for someone to say with the dad standing there, baby looks just like you. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But the dad heard it. And it was a good thing for the dad to hear. Here's the thing. Something special about resemblance that identifies us as oneness of family. A child's identified with a, a father or mother either physically or spiritually or both. Similarly, I believe that, that God is pleased when God sees a family resemblance in our faith community. Seeing a family of resemblance of God in a community of believers is to live with great grace and great power. It's to live gratefully and to live generously. This is our family resemblance to God and to Christ our Lord. Now to be sure, there are things that we can do to live into that resemblance. First, to remember the early Christians were active with their faith in the marketplace, just like we are today. The first century church was full of people who worked hard in various professions. And some accumulated land and houses, and they worked hard to share that with those that are in need. And they continued to work, even after that, to make sure this Christian community became thriving. They discovered the truth of what Neil Gornflow experienced. Neil Gornflow says, what typically happens is when uh, one tries sharing behavior in one way, they start to think, what can I do next? The members of the Jerusalem church were always asking, what can I do next? A man named Joseph sold a field and gave money to the apostles. And they gave him a new name, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. The apostles, they did signs and wonders for the Lord. Seven members of the early church were selected to wait tables and provide uh, for hungry, the hungry and care for widows and orphans. As we work hard, as we share our resources at Aldersgate, we should also ask, what can I do next? What can I do next in sharing my life with others? Like Barnabas, we too can become daughters and sons of encouragement. Secondly, Christians always put people ahead of prophets. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, said about money, some of you have heard this before, make all you can, save all you can, to give all you can. However, there's a paragraph after that first make all you can that we don't uh, look at very often. He said, make all you can so long as it does not harm yourself or anyone else. We're never to put profit before people. Christians today work to alleviate poverty just like that early church. We work through ministries like Rise Against Hunger. And we did a great job with that, didn't we? How many meals? 20,000 meals we, we uh, put together. We fight human trafficking. We house the homeless. We teach English to immigrants and we teach math to low-income ch uh, school children we work to provide affordable housing and provide dental care for the poor we work to provide needed resources for hurricane and and flood survivors and one way the united methodist does this is through being connected to our world by our church apportionments now that's a church word okay think of apportionments as missional giving together through our congregation connected to the other churches, we accomplish together what no single church 
no single district, no single conference could ever do alone. Each congregation is given a fair share of financial resources to provide. And those resources are effective both here and abroad. Our portion missional giving is used in ministries from United Methodist Committee on Relief to Natural Disaster Aid to training clergy, from shaping and forming laity for ministry to caring for children with AIDS, for supporting missionaries around the world and planting new churches locally. It does much more than this that I can't, don't have time to share right now. Now, this is the truth. Over the past couple of years, Aldersgate, we've not been, been able to pay our full share of this. But you know what? I know our church to be a generous one. I know it, be, it to be one who lives gratefully and gives generously. And I believe as we live with great grace and great power as that early church lived, that we're going to be able to pay our fair share in the very near future. Now, throughout history, Christians have worked to resemble the God of generosity, to resemble the Christ of compassion, to create a society that shares in such a way that there's no needy person among us. Now, in such a community, Christians share because they want to share, not because they're forced to share in any way. And we strive to live with a family resemblance of a generous God, the resemblance of a loving Lord, so as we consider our 2019 pledges for as we bring them next week, I encourage us to do so prayerfully. I encourage us to do so as a Christian community, as a generous family. Now looking over this congregation this morning, I see a people who is generous and who is giving. As I look over this congregation this morning, I see a family resemblance. Look at one another. You see that? There's a family resemblance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Today, as we come to celebrate Holy Communion, we are going to receive communion around the prayer rail. The ushers will um, direct you here. Uh, you'll be given a piece of bread to dip into the chalice. And I ask you to remain at the prayer well until a blessing is offered. And after that blessing is offered, I would ask you to exit by the ramp behind the piano and organ here. It will not leave us congested up front. So, 